checked my email in the morning, as I do, and I saw it was this week. I can't remember what day it was, uh, but they were talking that TikTok now has search ads. And I was trying to think about it, and my gut check was this doesn't seem right for us. It seems right for e-commerce because I imagine people on social, especially something like TikTok, are going to be searching maybe product reviews and that sort of thing. But I don't think we're at a point yet where local services are there. That was my take, my thoughts. I saw the same ad. And because it's called like... Wait, was it an ad? No, no, no. Sorry, it wasn't an ad. I saw the same article. I was going to say it because I felt like... I was going to skip over that if it was. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Every time I see sponsored, I'm just like, mm, not going to read this. Um, which, by the way, if you're not subscribed to Stack Marketer, you have to do it. There, you don't have an option, but it's the only newsletter that I think Cody and I both subscribe to, and our minions subscribe to it too. Yeah, I'm like, I'm serious. I'm I'm not usually one to really promote something or or drill something home, but. I am very serious. What I did was unsub from literally every other industry newsletter and just did them instead. Because if it matters, they cover it. And if it doesn't matter, I just don't need to know about it. It's fine. So, you know, search engine watch, search engine land, blah, 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 blah. Look, if it's important, it ends up in Stack Marketer. And if it's not, you can live without it. And I think once you're, you know, you become busy and you're doing the things, you don't have time read through all of them so i do really think it's worth signing up well you probably unsubscribed from search engine watch and then you saw my article from search engine watch get pushed into staff market stack marketer (laughs) well so they they do that though right i mean they if if they see an important one from one of those places they just i don't know they they cover it if it matters it's covered they didn't think my article from search engine uh land mattered when I was when I covered the spam update and the de-indexing of location pages, but whatever. Well, to be fair, as location for the general, you see this with, for example, Stripe. I've talked to Stripe support before and pointed out how we're a digital marketing agency, and they're basically like, "You're such a small segment that we don't care <laughs> to, to provide individualized <laughs> attention." Local services kind of feels like that too when you compare it to ecom, SaaS, that sort of thing. Um, where those sorts of, it seems like, and I could be wrong, right? But it seems like those sorts of companies get much more attention because as companies doing, you know, the big companies offering SaaS, like uh, Analytics 360, right? Costs an ungodly amount of money. Um, Mm -hmm. The people who are affording that, it's not the peons. How much does that cost? (laughs) I honestly, I can't remember. It's, one, it's the, the classic, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> so it's an Apple product. <laughs> uh, Analytics 360 uh, cost. We're going we're gonna to find this out. Oh, my God. 150000 per year. Yeah, there you go. Or 12500 per month. Yeah, so they see local, people see local service clients, local service accounts, marketing, et cetera, and so on. And it's, you know, in a best case scenario, not franchised four thousand dollars a month or something like that it's just not it's not a whale everybody likes the whales not a fan personally i don't think it's a good business model but people seem to like it we're getting detracted from what our actual article was in tiktok that or in a stack Ah, that we saw yeah tiktok search ad so i saw the same article and i had mixed feelings about it so i had 
I was excited because I'm like, oh, search ads. Like we love search ads on any platform. They kick ass. I was also kind of scared because I feel like I'm old and like every time a new marketing platform comes up, especially if it's video related, I just kind of like curl up in a ball and say, no, go away. (laughs) (laughs) I did the same thing with Snapchat when Snapchat started having ads. But I also remember Snapchat ads being incredibly difficult to execute. Like you had to be an actual creative agency like Vayner Media or something like that. And I remember some of the first Snapchat ads like from Gatorade that Vayner Media did. Um, it wasn't actually, it wasn't Vayner Media. It was uh, VML in Kansas City, which they're now like VML YNR or something like that. What are the extra letters? Uh, it was like Yandex. They bought, they bought, uh, they merged that YNR oh. did. I don't know what VML stands for. Is it Vayner Media? Vayner Media or something? My, this means nothing to me. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, I remember that was like one of the first ones that came out. And I was like, mm, I'm going to pass on learning anything about Snapchat ads. And then TikTok is not the same thing, but it's it's video content. And, and so it's a video social media platform, which I guess Snapchat is more of video and images. But I am like hesitant. But one, because we're not a creative agency. like Our clients have to be big enough to have their own TikTok assets to, to provide. Or it's something that we can make into TikTok videos. But Cody and I, before we started this podcast episode, we were talking about the different applications for it, especially in a local service situation. Because like you said, you were really, you think it's going to really pop off for e-commerce, which I, I agree. I think it definitely will, especially since they've launched the TikTok shop or whatever they're calling it. But we were also looking up if they have the ability to target locations. And, you know, like if, like on Instagram, I think before, like if you didn't have any Instagram ads, like organic Instagram presence kind of sucks because if we're local service businesses, because you post like a job of your landscaping uh, project that you did and it just goes out to everybody and you don't really have that location control unless you're running ads. Same thing for TikTok, except if landscapers were to do like DIY videos and have like a DIY TikTok and then promote those in search ads or even ads in general and just use the zip code targeting, which we found out that they had, then you could hit that actual location regional demographic right around you from a local business perspective. The only other question I have, especially in regards to landscaping is going to be the age. Yeah. You know? Like are old enough people on old people who have money on TikTok, and it's not <laughs> a bunch of 14 year olds that, you know, uh, yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Well, it sucks for Montana because Montana, <laughs> there's going to be no TikTok ads in Montana because they Montana's banned TikTok from all devices, even personal devices. Wait, I thought that was just a, a state level thing. It's a it, personal thing. So too? this was also in Stacked Marketer as well. I don't know if it was today or a couple of days ago, but yeah, they're the first state to actually ban it. Um, actually, no, it wasn't in Stacked Marketer. No, it was, in a, it was in a YouTube video I was watching the other day. But yeah, it's actually relatively unconstitutional, but they did it anyways. And yeah, you can no longer, I don't know how they're going to like check for that though. <laughs> I got like drive through Montana and, and uninstall TikTok. Imagine <laughs> people VPNing just to get TikTok and that's be, comical. Oh yeah, I bet it is just regional based. But it's like de- banning it from the device though, not just from using it, which is weird. Don't know how they'll do it. Yeah, I in general, I could see us playing with this later on, testing it out. Uh, and I think it will really come down to costs, right? Because uh, if you're using a shotgun approach, which a lot of social is, I mean, uh, depending, I, I take it back. Look, you can do some extreme tar- extremely narrow targeting with social. It's true. But 
for a service business and something like what we deal with, you're you're do you're financially accounting for collateral damage and uh, just wasted spend that you know won't hit the right people and it doesn't matter because if it's cheap enough it's still cost effective we could try to find that out and if it is then great but again everybody's always doing that and then once enough people do find that then uh what do you know look it's no longer working because now it's too expensive to be cost effective the one thing i hate about video platforms for advertising is you have no control you don't really have a lot of control over the creative unless you actually send a team out there to go film it and you are basically at the at the mercy of whatever assets your client has to provide. So if there's low engagement or low conversion rate or whatever, I mean, you can really blame your client's assets for it. But then you start kind of going down that slippery slope. And, you know, it, it's that's the only reason why I'm kind of apprehensive about it. I think we've talked before about niching down. And I think if your if your niching down is local, then this could go well. Right, because you do have the ability to, ability to either easily meet up with your clients and make videos and that sort of thing. But say you're national or even international in a particular niche, this is going to be a hard thing to do. Now, just, you get the expensive accounts that uh, the plane tickets are worth it. Then, <laughs> cool. Sounds like a good time. I just um, talked to we had a we had a listener actually reach out to to me or us really and. Um, uh, schedule a a consultation call with me to talk about growing his business and he primarily did tiktok ads for businesses and he's he's based in europe but he wanted to expand to like the u.s markets and some other european countries so he was remote but he was doing tiktok um ads and he had a creative um it, it was like a creative person that took video assets and made them into like a tiktok format Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure the client still had to have, and he was in the e-commerce niche as well. So the client had to have like their own videos and things like that. But if it's also e-commerce, there's also a lot less that you need because you can make all the video, you know, anywhere you want, as long as you have the product in your hand. I and, think, uh, I think something that clients are apprehensive about or uncomfortable and wish that they weren't more so is just making their own anything, even if the quality is bad. Because there's an there's an endearing quality to that that people feel the authenticity and they think it's nice and I mean yeah look if you have all the money in the world and super polished videos and all that stuff is very cool but it's also okay and you can give it a shot to just do homegrown content too I think that's a little bit of an offshoot of what we're talking about but um, uh, even to me in some ways this podcast has been that a little bit because. I'm I'm someone who's never really wanted to go out and and do this sort of thing into and, the sun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know we've we've seen that people like it, and it's actually a bigger audience than we originally thought. So um, I think clients should should think that way too, and be willing to try those things. Whether it's viable to offer as a service is is a separate topic, and maybe one that we should talk about today so, <laughs> we didn't i didn't plan that this cold open was actually going to like seamlessly roll into the actual topic of of what we're talking about today i think halfway through you talking a couple sentences ago i was like wait a minute this is perfect <laughs> um but i did want to end that and say yes so subscribe to stack marketer 
you we don't get paid for you subscribing to Stack Marketer, but I am eight referrals away from a Stack Marketer hoodie. And do I do the t-shirts anymore or no? I, do, I don't. I didn't see a t-shirt. No, I would prefer oh, a t-shirt okay. over a hoodie, but well, it's like 50 referrals for a hoodie. So hoodies are cool. Do you, you would rather have a t-shirt though? Yeah. Okay. That's why um, that's why I want the Google Partner t-shirt that you have of mine over there. I got a lot of stuff. It's giving me anxiety. The amount of stuff I have for people in the, the business closet that is not mine, but needs to be given away in some capacity. <laughs> so we've, I have to meet people. I did just meet with Eva and give her, her, uh, Google partners mug though. So uh, that was nice. It? Yeah. She's stoked. Sweet. Uh, no, I can't wait for my light box and my t-shirt. It'll look cool. The, I, I, I have, I have all of your Evergrow polos that we just got. Nice. Look yeah. at us. Swag. Wow. <laughs> All right, let's end the cold open. Okay, so this episode, as you saw from the title, is uh, all, all about offering more services and how it won't actually get you more clients. And I have seen this on so many, well, so many social media platforms now. We won't talk about it right now, but next week or in the coming weeks, we'll talk about how uh, I got hacked. My Facebook got hacked. And so this little teaser, we'll talk about how it happened, why it happened, what happened after that, how I got it back. But all platforms, it doesn't matter, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, everyone does the same thing. They always say, I am struggling to get clients. I'm going to offer more services or they, or they don't directly say that. But if they're like a social media agency and they do Facebook ads, they start doing SEO or they start like uh, web development or whatever. They just offer everything that possibly can because they can't get their social media or Facebook clients. So they're like, well, if I broaden my net, I should be able to catch more fish. Well, if a supplier pays you for salmon and then you start delivering crab, then you're totally missing the entire point of the agency that you tried to start. So um, actually, I first noticed this and I, f- I first wanted to talk about this on an episode because um, as I was locked out of my Facebook account, I started d- uh, doom scrolling on LinkedIn. And I became... <laughs> you just switched platforms. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was like, like oh, I no, can't, I can't, can't do it scroll. anymore. <laughs> It's like I can't doom scroll on Facebook, but I guess I'll go through LinkedIn, which is just awful. That is my nightmare. It is hell. Was it, it was worse than Facebook. Oh my dude, Facebook or LinkedIn is so bad because it's all it is is just cringy business people who are like pseudo woke and <laughs> it, and they're just like, here's a counterculture perspective. Like, never judge a book before its cover. And then, like, I noticed the latest LinkedIn trend to get reactions is like people posting TikTok. Uh, TikToks and Instagram reels of something funny or weird. And then they like somehow put some kind of like business or entrepreneurial spin on it. Right. And it's just, and it's like, you know, um, sometimes working smarter is better than working harder or something like that. And it's just like some stupid, yes. It's just awful. And every, everything is the same. I feel like you can put people who are active on LinkedIn in three categories. The first is it's their job as in their recruiters. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is literally their job to be on LinkedIn because they are professional networkers. And that's one category. The second is uh, people who are promoting in any way, shape or form. Right. Just broadcasting out your content, something like that. Uh, and then third is people just who aren't doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, they are going to be like, well, I'm not the other two. So. <laughs> <laughs> name name a time in your life when you were perfectly happy in your career and your job and you thought you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna go hang out on linkedin 
and see what's going on and coincidentally what jobs are out there, right? Most if if you're not just a LinkedIn hanger outer, then you're a LinkedIn I'm searching for a job and then in which case you're not happy. <laughs> and I would say I mean, not that it's it's reasonable to not be doing mentally well if you're unhappy with your job, but you know what I mean? It's the what's the meme? Um, it's never your successful friends sharing the motivational quotes. Mm-hmm. It's the ones who aren't. <laughs> yeah. So uh, same thing. The people, the people I want to talk to that are professionals uh, have LinkedIn's, but they're not hanging out. Right? They're working, and then they do LinkedIn when they have something to do on LinkedIn. Yeah. That's that's fair. I saw a meme. I was trying to look for it when you were talking and it was like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like this guy and a girl meeting up on a date, you know, for a date the first time. And she's like, oh, what do you do? And he goes, I'm a LinkedIn influencer. Like the next frame is like her chair spinning and her like out the door. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, so I've, I've also learned, I don't know if it's just the algorithm on Twitter or X, I guess, but I've also noticed that Twitter, like people on Twitter and LinkedIn are the same people. And Mm -hmm. Like they, they post the same stuff and, but except Twitter, the difference between Twitter and LinkedIn is that everybody posting the stuff that's being posted on LinkedIn, that's posting on Twitter are, um, 18 year olds. And they're always like two years ago, I was 230 pounds and you know, whatever. And then like, they're like, now I'm a multimillionaire agency coach. I'm like, shut up. Okay. Listen, I, I got something to say about that. I got to point it out. Cause I feel like nobody's saying it when, when you see the photos, of the left and the right. And there's the me overweight, unhappy me on the right, successful. Everything is great. The one on the left, when people are crying, why are you taking a photo of yourself? Why do you have that? That's such a, that's weird. That's really weird. If you start crying and the first thing that you think, maybe the first thing, if it's just a thing that you think is, you know what I should do right now? I should take a picture of myself crying. That's weird. That's a weird thing. I feel like, um, every email kid did that at 16. (laughs) <laughs> which 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 is which is relevant for someone who's eighteen who's trying to show a before and after picture because two years ago they were sixteen and they they were the exact type of person who would do that. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. You switched. Yeah, we, you switched your doom scrolling up. from we Facebook. Do, okay, to so I was doom scrolling on LinkedIn and I saw a post from someone I follow in the landscaping industry. He owns a franchise, a landscaping franchise. Well, really, it's a tree company franchise and landscape magazine. Uh, which is a not magazine that you got published in, uh, published an article stating or um, that stated that adding a service to your business can increase your revenue and profitability. And if you pay attention to the last 20 minutes of this podcast episode, the first thought would be like, no, that's bullshit. But, uh, you know, based on what the Everbros are saying. But I commented on it and I was, I basically said, or he, he shared it, he commented, says, um, um, you know, hey, we were published in this magazine, and then I commented, and I was like, I was like, yeah, um, it could be a really good tactic to do that, but if you don't have like your core services fleshed out and fully systematized, adding more services can actually hinder your business. And um, so he he wrote back and he he agreed with me, and he explained that he only did trees and tree services and tree landscaping for twelve years. And then got the opportunity to do pools, which is what the article was about. It was about installing pools and, and managing them. And then he started processing that out. So his company does trees and pools, which is kind of weird. Like it, it's almost like um, we had an old competitor back in the in the days where we first started, where he did uh, marketing, and 
basically competed with us. His primary bread and butter was SEO, but um, he started offering like call center, like an like a call center. Like he would take calls for his clients too, and try to like close those leads for them. And then he also did like IT, whatever that means, and just literally anything. I think he started doing like postcards and like door hangers and stuff as well. And it was just like you like he didn't have a niche anymore. His like a service niche. It was just an industry niche which is which is okay but it's okay to only have an industry as a niche but he started out as seo and then he started branching out in all these services and my guess is because he wasn't getting any seo clients or wasn't having success with that so he started you know expanding his services to hopefully get more people in but if you do seo and marketing at your bread and butter and then you're like i'm gonna do a call center because that's what people need and they you know i can see that well do you have call center experience Mm-hmm. Because now you're just setting yourself up for failure. And yeah, I think you can dissect this different ways. Because when you just said the the initial statement, the hey, he added uh, new services to his business and doing so can increase revenue and profitability, period. I, I think, yeah, it checks out. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, that makes logical sense. I have no no beef with it. But I mean, yeah, 12 years of expertise in one field before moving on to another. Awesome. Sweet. The agency world? Well, I guess two things. One, if you waited 12 years to to do the next thing as a digital agency, uh, you're probably going to fall behind <laughs> at that point um, because uh, things move so fast here. But there's there's something to be said about uh, moving to a new service just because your first one either isn't successful or never even took root anyway from the start. I mean, you can be something that is important to know is just success rate and turn rate. So with your primary service that you're offering is it if it is it going well if and if it's not going well in what way is it not going well is it not being bought period and in which case i would just look at new services but if it's being bought and it just has really high churn then i think that sounds like an attractive service and you just have to work out the kinks what's going on is it is the price too high are you not delivering something that needs to be included in there what is the issue that is getting people to leave in the service not successful? And in that case, new services, in my opinion, that's just a distraction at that point to what you should be doing, which is zoning in and figuring out what the problem is with your service that is sort of working, right? I th- uh, yeah, and I think there, when you talk about the kind of the dichotomy of it, is it is it not working? Like, are you selling it and it's not working? I think that's a clear indicator of either fix your service or sell a new service. Um but if you're not selling it, then either there is no market for that service that you're selling or what you're actually selling is not what other people are actually buying. And what I mean by that is Evergrow, our agency, doesn't sell SEO or Google Ads. We sell leads. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. So like, we can pitch SEO and Google Ads all day long, but we won't get as many clients as we would if we just said, we'll get you more leads how we do that is through SEO and Google ads, because that's what we're good at. But the amount of people that come to me, I mean, just through our, our, our form on our website and say, I need help with marketing. Uh, well, they didn't come to us and say they needed help with SEO and Google ads, but that's how we're going to help them get what they actually need. And we've reflected this in another podcast episode that I think it was with Skylar actually, where we said that, you know, people come to us and they say they want to rank number one. And when I always say, why? Like, and they say, well, it's because it, I want to get more leads. So, okay. So you don't want to rank number one. What you want is more leads. And getting down to the root of what people actually want is what's going to define what you're selling 
how you do it is the service you offer. And like, you know, even if you are an agency that is called like, um, like you're a call center agency, like you take on calls for your clients so they can be in the field and you're basically like that remote office person, or, you know, maybe you're, uh, what's that, what's that word? A, uh, someone who's like an assistant, a VA virtual assistant, let's Mm -hmm. say you're a virtual assistant. Like you're not selling a VA service, what you're actually selling is more time for your client or your organization for your client. How you do that is through VA. And I think that's just an important distinction to make when when understanding what you're selling versus what people in your market are actually buying. So, uh, uh, Jake, you talk to the the people. You know the people. You well, know what 45 they... days ago, I talked to the people. And then I got back <laughs> in my Facebook account, and now I'm talking to people again. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't talked to the people. Not uh, recently, when no. you were talking to the people, um, and uh, they're talking about new services, what, where is the majority? Is it that they're not selling services, period? Or it's that they're selling services and it's going mid and they want to offer new services because that seems like the logical next step because they're not making as much as they want to be making? Or what? what is, what's the typical case here? I don't think anybody is actually ever honest about where they're at and why they're offering new services. I think it's like, it's kind of embarrassing, I guess, to to admit that you can't, like you're not finding clients. Here's what I'm, this is what I'm assuming. People can't, they offer a service, but they can't find clients. So they get one and two, one or two, and they stay on for like a couple of months and then they're back to fishing again. And I think people are just embarrassed to admit that they can't get clients for the service that they're offering and the niche that they're offering, which is okay. I mean, uh, when I first started, that was the case for me. It just, it took me, you know, almost a year to a year and a half. I can't remember the, the, what I keep saying. I think it was a year and a half before I actually started landing serious clients. And it was just building that and understanding what people were actually looking for versus, you know, what I was trying to push and sell. And that's where I think people are. I think they have trouble selling their service. So um, what they do is one of two things. One is they see what uh, they just take a shot in the dark. They do a shotgun approach and start offering all the services under the sun. And they say, well, if people don't want SEO, maybe I can offer social but then somebody comes to them and says, hey, we just want somebody to do organic posting on our social media. What if they, they said that to us, we'd say, tough, go find someone else because we're not going to post organically on your social. Where, But if they went to someone who had trouble getting clients and securing an income, they might be open to it because they need money. And I did that when I first started. I offered literally everything under the sun. I would do organic social posting. I was, I've said this before. I would do Reddit ads. <laughs> I don't even think Reddit ads would do well um, for <laughs> landscaping. I think they would absolutely tank but i was willing to take money and figure out a service for literally anybody and it wasn't until cody came along that he was basically like nope we're only doing seo google ads that's it and it was super impactful to do that and because we weren't selling again we weren't selling seo google ads we were selling leads yeah and i just think that people really need to focus on what it is they're truly offering versus trying to do a shotgun approach. But the other thing that the second approach that I think the reason why people expand their services is because they see online what it looks like is working for other people and other agency owners and other gurus in the space. And they see like this, oh, like seven figure SEO agency business model. So they try that and they can't get any clients. And they see someone says, oh, seven figure SMMA business. So they're like, okay, I'm going to dip my toes in social media. But then they can't get clients in that. At some point, you have to realize that it's not it's not the service that's the problem. It's you. 
that you dropped that. And I just, my soul was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had nothing. Like I got nowhere to go with that. Cause I just feel it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, uh, it goes back to some of the episodes that we've heard or had earlier about people just being lazy, like, or being impatient and wanting to sell services immediately. And I know that a lot of people start in this agency space because they're crunched for cash and they need money, whether it's fast or, or whatever, but nothing in life is a, a fast game or a, a quick get rich quick situation. I mean, there are some people who do get rich quick and they're extremely lucky And nine times out of 10 scamming people. But yeah, when you say the, the shotgun approach to services, what it makes me think of is the people who believe the, what is it? Start 10 businesses, get two successful ones or whatever. Oh, yeah. Cause they're, if they're like the failure rate is, I just made those numbers up. If the failure rate is 90%, then start 10 and one of them will be okay. And I, I can't argue too much with it because I know that it, that does work for people, for some people, it wouldn't work for me. Definitely not. Um, but for some people that is a, a way to find what kind of service is going to be successful. Um, but I think when you do that, you divide your attention and instead of, you know, you're, it's the, you're diversified, you're not doubling down. So you're not actually truly focused on the thing that is going to work. Now, if, if what you do is you just offer them initially to find out what, what the, you know, what most fish are looking for or what they're biting on, then, then you zone in and you say, okay, there's serious interest here. I need to really work on this one particular one and dedicate serious time to it and figuring out how it's going to be a legitimate service offering. Um, but it's, I think it's just dangerous, right. To divide your attention like that. Well, I, I think, and I think like everyone thinks it's like, oh, well, if you, you know, bet on black, you'll, you'll win 50% of the time. Like that's kind of how they're equating that start 10 businesses and two will succeed or whatever. And they're like, well, if we, if you bet on black enough, eventually you'll win. But what the, what it should be is like, no, 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 play 10 chess games against a grandmaster and see how many you win. And it's probably going to be a very, a very quick zero uh, because there's strategy involved. It's not just luck. You can't just start 10 DBAs and be like, well, two of these are going to win. Yeah. No. I think it's fun to think about that with uh, demographics in general. When people pull out statistics and they, they say them loosely like, oh, this percent, only this percent does this. And then when you actually think and, and sit down and segment your demographics appropriately, and then you find that, look, some things actually aren't that out there when you narrow down your group. Um, I, I think about this with a, a simple example of shark attacks, because people will say, look, your odds of getting bitten or attacked by a shark are astronomically low. Yeah, that, that statistic that always says, like, you have a higher chance of getting struck by lightning than bitten by a shark. Mm-hmm. But now let's say you live in Hawaii and you're a surfer and you surf every day. <laughs> how much as that demographic, how much statistically do your, your odds increase of actually being bitten by a shark? Cause most people aren't one more. Most people aren't swimming every day. <laughs> most people aren't even remotely close. Okay. That's not true. It's like 50% of the world is right by the ocean. Um, but <laughs> half the world isn't. Um, and then I totally made that up. You can fact check me. I have no idea what, what percentage is actually near the, the ocean or whatever. But look, the fact is most people just aren't, even in places or situations where they could hypothetically be attacked by a shark. But if you are a surfer and you're in the demographic that is frequently interacting with sharks, then you, you aren't 
that loose statistic, you're actually exponentially more likely to have a shark encounter. And I think about that with business too, when people will say, oh, you know, most businesses fail, blah, 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 blah. Well, take into account people's demographic. What's their background? What do they know? What's their, you know, their financial status? What's their uh, work history? Those sorts of things. And things become a lot more likely than other people want to give them credit for. I can't remember where I found it, but the like they always have that statistic about uh, pit bulls being the number one dog oh, that, bites, yeah. that bites people. And you will find that in a lot of sources that said they will. But usually they segment it by the severity of the injury. So like I can't like they usually have like dog bite fatalities and they have like dog bite like ER visits and things like that. Um, and, and yeah, a pit bull is bred to have like insanely strong jaw muscles. Um, but like, I can't remember, I, I'll try to find this and post this in the show notes if I can, but, and this was a couple of years ago, but the, can you guess what the number one reported dog bite breed is? Mm, what's the highest, what's the most popular dog? I'm going to go with that because that seems statistically correct. Lab? Golden Retriever? No what do people like? That. Most popular dog breed. What, what country in the, in the world? Uh, where are the stats coming from, right? We'll just say U.S. Because yeah, we're, that's we're where all we know. US. So the most popular dog in 2022 is a, looks like a Labrador Retriever. Makes sense. Is it Labs? Then? Nope, it's not. It's actually a German Shepherd. And the reason why uh, is because the police force uses German Shepherds. So when they bite a some perpetrator or criminal that's reported as a dog bite uh number two was like chihuahuas which that makes sense seems... I, don't, I think you say chihuahua has like a highest one of the highest dog bites bite rates in the world and like literally everybody goes yeah i believe that <laughs> <laughs> it's just like they don't like harm it's just they're small and annoying and they can be punted <laughs> <laughs> but it, everywhere you look it's going to be like you know, pit bulls and German shepherds because they have that most, they have the highest lethal bite. Um, but yeah, I can't so, remember, I can't remember where I found that, but I always find it annoying when like, I can't bring Jack's places because he's half German shepherd. I'm like, the only reason why his bite is high up there is because German shepherd dog bites are reported or for uh, police, police officers. Yeah. Okay. I got, I want to ask more though. Cause you talked to that guy in the comments, he was doing pools. How long had he been doing pools when he was posting that? Was it a brand new thing for him still or like a year or two? Uh, I don't recall exactly, but I, th- I believe it was a year or two. It was he was pretty fresh in the pool game, and because they talked about the um, re- the impending recession, impending sounds like it's coming. Um, the hypothetical recession that was thought to have come, and how they started doing services to kind of branch out of that, uh, out of just doing that one and diversifying. So it's kind of like what we plan on doing with you know some of the coursework for Evergrow. Um, Sorry, listeners. No, we're not quite releasing courses for the uh, Ever Bros, but for our landscaping clients, we plan to do that. And it's just one of those like broadening our services without changing what we're actually offering, so we can hit a, a different demographic within the same niche. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it makes us a little bit more recession proof too. I mean, not that we're really hit by much anyway. But the classic, if any of you are have spent any time near or around. Uh, affiliate uh traffic and business then you know like biz ops crush it in recessions so um when when there's a recession everybody looks either to 
do scrappy businesses or how do I do things myself to save money? And, um, yeah, it, it would be nice to start offering those sorts of education courses. So we started, we started refilling our printer ink on our own. Did you, did you see the Canon? What was it? Canon? No, it was HP. Uh, yeah, I did. Well, they have their own refillers. No, so, it, it was, uh, they started shutting down the printers if you didn't buy their ink. Oh, I thought I saw something about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm talking uh, about a little bit cause I don't fully remember, but I thought it was that they just didn't work if you weren't buying their specific, it was basically like, locked. Yeah. If you were buying like off brand cartridges, mm-hmm. I believe that because there's, there's chips on them that, that tell the printer like how to, how to read the ink um, cartridge. But if you use the, so what we do is uh, you take an ink cartridge out, you peel the little label back. There's a little pinhole and that's where the ink goes. So we have like this big bottle of ink in a syringe and we just fill it back up and then we put the same cartridge back in. How much was it for the cartridge thing? And the just ink? for like the ink bottle? Yeah. <laughs> I think like eight bucks. What? On Amazon? Yeah, it's so cheap. Wait, like the what about the ink? Ink's expensive though, right? Or is that just a, well, a that's lie that's that we're that's told? What, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about. Hold on. I could be, Lauren bought it. I could be an idiot. Printer, ink, <laughs> refill, bottles, Amazon. Sorry. Well, I guess the big bottle is like 18 bucks of black ink. But still, like one cartridge is like 30 bucks. And, right. and this big bottle is like 40 cartridges. So... Yeah, we just started filling that back up, and there's like you just like YouTube videos on how to do it, and it's kind of messy, and the ink goes away pretty quick. But um, I, I was also watching a video on YouTube, and I don't, it wasn't a sponsored video for a new printer, but he wanted to talk about it because he was super excited. I think it was, I think it was like Epson. Epson now has a printer. It could be HP. Um, we're gonna look at this. Is the episode of of looking up refillable <laughs> printer? This is the live googling episode. Yeah, hey, Epson. Epson has uh, the EcoTank printer and you like instead of like actual cartridges that you just plug in, they come with like refillable cartridges and and then they also the ink bottles. So you could just keep refilling that and it's like meant to be environmentally friendly, but um, it saves you a ton of money on on printer ink. So I kind of want to get that because what we're doing right now is like that's like back alley (laughs) refills. (laughs) <laughs> it's so messy when we do it we do it in our laundry room and there's just like ink stains all over the laundry sink but i don't i don't remember if i told you this but i filled out the census for us for the business mm-hmm. um they were asking about our our green adoption stuff it was just very bizarre even trying to answer the questions because uh, it's like our carbon footprint is our lives <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> as a company there's very i i couldn't even, i had struggled to come up with things about how we as a remote company can even try to do things in a greener way than we're already doing because a lot of it is, is actually even personal choice of how people want to work in their homes for solar panels on all of our employees homes. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it was, it was bizarre, but also interesting because, you know, you think about how other companies are doing that sort of thing too. We make all of our employees uh, mine crypto on their house 24-7. <laughs> we, we ship them a care package that has a solar panel and you know, all this other stuff. No. Uh, all right. Where were we? Oh, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, so adding services to your repertoire is, is inevitable. Like every business will do it at some point, whether, the, whether it's a full-on pivot 
or whether they offer like a complimentary service to something they're already doing. So we've gone over the last 40 minutes talking about, hey, you know, it's not always the best idea. And like, here's why. When do you, when would you say it is a good idea to consider adding a new service or just outright adding a new service? Well, it's like you said, right? I mean, first, it's the assuming that you already have a, a successful service. <laughs> um, it's selling, you're making money from it, it's profitable. But do you have it processed out? Are you still involved? Because if you're still involved, it's probably not time to move on to the next one yet. You need to be able to be out so that you can develop the next one, assuming you're the person doing it. Um, I think that and then at that point, yeah, go go see what you can do for the next one. And we've we've tested this with uh, failures and successes. And we even basically know what our, our next successes are most likely to be. Uh and I think one of the best ways you can do that, I'm like offshooting from your question, but uh, I think it's worth mentioning too, listening to your clients then, uh, because we've had clients ask us about particular platforms and if and when we're going to offer them as a service. And um, that's not always necessarily true because there are some things you have to just come back and say, look, uh, it's not financially smart. We push our big thing for us is mutual profitability. So we tell clients, look, if we can't both make money from this, it's just not a good deal. And we're also in a position still where, like Jake said, organic social is a prime example. Organic social isn't a major money maker uh, well, for but, us. Yeah. Wait, no, for, uh, well, yeah, for us. Well, we we don't know. We've never done it. But organic social can be a major money maker for an agency, but not for their client. Right, right. So, I think you do hit a level in business and with the size of clients where you start offering services, not because you're positioning yourself as a performance agency anymore. It's now that, look, somebody has to do this job. I either have to pay somebody in-house to do it or I'm looking to outsource it. And then when you do that, you no longer have to justify that cost and that expense from a performance aspect. It's, is the client happy with what they're paying for, for the service, knowing that it's not a direct cost per acquisition sort of thing. I think of that often with social in general. I think that's what social is for many people is they know they have to have some sort of presence and be somewhat active. There's a minimum viable product once you hit a certain size of your company and you need to do something. And it's there's a very quick cap where it's no longer fiscally smart to keep pouring money into it, but it is still a minimum viable product that they sort of need to. Um, I mentioned this with emails before, like um, mm. we, so, because we help with emails, there is some level of our service that is administrative and uh, I remind clients of that too. We don't like doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, so that's just necessary. Like they just need a new email. They need to migrate from their hosts and that includes email. And, and what I mean, and just to clarify, because people are, you know, we're at a part in the po- a point in the podcast where people are joining halfway through and they haven't heard all the other episodes. When we say email, we mean like setting up a, a professional email, like at what, you know, your domain.com. Yep. And, and like and being like, standby for Google Workspace if they run into problems as they're growing their team sort of thing. Yeah. And not like email marketing. Like we, right. we still don't offer that yet. It's kind of on the docket to explore in the future. But there's a lot of situations where clients need like a professional email and we only do Google Workspace. 
and and when we do it, we set it up for them through Google Workspace and not through us. Like we're not a, an, an email reseller for Google, but it, it is something we don't even like doing. And I remember like when I'm in sales calls and they're like, yeah, maybe you can help us set up this. I'm like, yeah, 500 bucks. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it's priced to where it's like, it's like, a, I think it's a little more than the hours that we actually spend doing it, but mm-hmm. it's also priced because we don't want to do it. Right. It's, it's, you know, but yeah, it's kind of like our websites when we first started. Yeah. But there's, it's kind of nice to have some level of that in your service offerings because when, you know, clients want to throw a hissy fit and then they come back and they're like, ah, I'm done. I want out of here, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, this is why other agencies do hold things hostage is because it makes it very difficult to actually leave. Um, they don't, we, we don't do that. Um, at least, especially not intentionally too, but something as simple as hosting a site. It's like, okay, you're free to take it with you, but how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. You have to figure that out. And if you don't know how, then you're gonna have to pay somebody else to do it. Or yeah, just miscellaneous tech support of addressing emails. And I'm like blanking on the other things. I know that there's a ton out there, but it, like my brain always, just because I've had to spend so much time on it. Um, but I know that there's other requests too. And I just have to remind clients that, look, we, we have helped you with these other things too. So if you're going to, you're going to have to go do that yourself or you're going to now have to rely on somebody else to address those sorts of things. So um, that peripheral knowledge is beneficial. I always say, I guess for me, the way that I say we should do another service is um, one, when taking on clients isn't feasibly possible because of your workload, but you still want to grow your revenue. <laughs> that's like the, that's the sales CEO in me. That's just like, because like we have a, we have a client limitation of four clients per month starting in on September 1st. So as, as a recording, this it's October or August 24th. And um, we say that, Hey, we only could take on four clients at a time. Well, then we're limited to a growth of four clients per month. However, we could also kind of sideload the, um, what do you call it? The, the R&D of a new service uh, and then start selling that to existing clients and uh, we can grow in that direction. Upsales are in theory, the easiest sell that you have is because you already have clients who are happy with you. And if they are looking to grow, then, well, it's not like finding entirely new customers. You have people that are ready to give you more money anyway. Yeah. You just have to be super careful about that though, because you don't want to upsell a new service away from like your core package and then like have it tank. And then suddenly, your clients lose faith in the current service they're paying for. And this is also why before we've said this too, that if you start branching out from their core products to, to widen your net, to offer services that you aren't necessarily an expert in, and people don't have good experiences with that, not only are they going to be advocate against your brand because they didn't have a good experience with it, but they're also definitely not going to sign up for your actual core services that you want them on. Yeah. I was yeah. watching YouTube the other day. And there's a guy, he said this, I liked it a lot. And he said, you know, people have no problem throwing money at a course to learn something. And in and doing that, they are losing money. But the second they're talking about working for free for a client, they don't want to do it. But if you treat the opportunity like a learning opportunity as you would a course, then, I mean, you, you're losing money in the way that you are not getting paid for that work. And then it's free labor. But you're actually having a free opportunity to learn. So it's not a bad way to start with a new service either. We've talked about that where, look, don't let it be for free forever, but 
starting there isn't a bad place and just being honest and saying, I don't know. I want to learn. I want to find out. I'll work for free for this duration to find out and see if this will become a viable service for us. I had a, um, there was a topic and lawn site that was, uh, let me find it here. Um, new posts. My Okay. So uh, it was just today, actually, someone in lawn site was saying, hey, take a look at my website. You know, what do you guys think? And he was just asking his peers and of course, Evergreen Marketing, me, is on that forum. And it was just a website that's built on Wix, just, you know, one, a one pager. And there was just like a lot of, a lot of like element errors where you could scroll down, like one element would like hover over the other one. And it was just really weird. And I basically said like, Hey, you should create sub pages for all your services. Also like, here are some areas where like the elements look kind of funky when I'm scrolling, but I was super short. I'd probably put like 50 words there. And I'm like, that's all I can really say for now, you know, without going into detail, uh, you know, or write, without writing a novel on what you should do um, based on what's like currently there. And I basically asked him if he wanted to rank and he goes, yeah, yeah, I would like to rank. How much would it cost to hire a web designer? So like in a lot of situations, most people, like a lot of agency owners and a lot of freelancers would be like, this is how much we cost. And then like they'd really like try to sell themselves or like try to sell, you know, try to not sell somebody else. And they would say like, well, if you're paying this much, it's a scam. If you're paying this much, it's too much. Um, but how this relates to what you were just saying is because like, if you do something for free, it usually means one of three things. And this is what I illustrated to this guy here. So he said, how much does it cost? And I said, well, it depends. Any, anyone between $0 and $2,000 are either new uh, and need to build their portfolio, uh, not good at what they do or scamming you or a combination of the three. So it's up to you to decide as a buyer who, you know, who you're dealing with and it's up to you as a seller who how you want to portray yourself so if there's information like this if i'm the one out here spouting this information which you, you can't convince me that that's not true um if you are selling your website services for z- between zero dollars and two thousand dollars i already know you're probably new and you're probably not super confident in the services you're offering if if you're not scamming and you're um and you want to actually provide good good value um I went on to say anyone between 2000 or 5000 won't allow you much customization and the sites will mostly be based on a template structure. That's us. <laughs> that, that's actually us. So like, I didn't talk that up at all. I was just saying like, hey, it's based on a template structure, just just so you know, um, based on the amount of labor hours that I put in there. And then the third one, I said anything above 5000 is typically a custom website build with the average being around 7000 to 10000 And mm-hmm. I'm speaking more to like the local service business niche. If you're doing like a custom e-commerce site, it, those can be like 50, 50 grand. Yeah, better um, go to the bank. Yeah, so, and we we have had sites that like have hit 7,500, 8,000, but um, for the most part, most of our sites are between two and 5,000 because they are based off of a template. Uh, when we first started, we were doing zero to $2,000. We were actually doing $1,000 and in certain situations, we we're doing $750 because we were new and still learning. And um, it's just, it's important to, portray that i don't i don't know where i was going with that but you said you said that and i was like hey that sounds familiar i said something like that this morning on a forum it's okay my brain's like pretty done though i'm not sure i have much (laughs) left anyway (laughs) well yeah we're about done the only thing i had was like two um, similarities between agency owners and uh, lawn care company owners who add additional services for the sake of attracting new clients so i this is really the the uh impetus of of me wanting to do this episode and it's uh lawn care companies who do like mowing and and weed whacking and things like that 
Sometimes in the winter, they offer snow removal, which makes sense because there's nothing to do in the winter except remove snow. Or in the summer, while they're mowing lawns, they'll offer also offer power washing because they can get a power washer for relatively cheap and power wash someone's driveway. But power washing has very little to do with lawn care. And that's like a lawn care person doing roofing. It's just like, it's not, It's I mean, it's outdoors. It has to do with the house, but it's not necessarily the same thing. And there are a ton of lawn care companies, new lawn care companies who do power washing. You won't find an established lawn care company, or at least very many of them, who do power washing as a service. Um, so on like it, uh, the example that I gave for like SEO agency is you do SEO agencies, but then all, but then now you um, you do like hiring ads on Indeed. So this is a really good equation. So it sound, doesn't sound like it's the same thing, but one of the main reasons why we lose clients is because they don't have the labor to execute the leads that we're driving. So the because they can't find the work so one solution to that would be well they need to hire more people but they struggle to hire people because they can't find applicants so if we offered a service that helped them find applicants then that could complement our service for providing leads well those are two really different services and we have honestly no idea how to run ads for hiring that are going to be successful for our clients without testing that to some degree for yeah this niche but i do think that's i think recruitment in general as a as a partner thing to your niche if you learn it is brilliant though because like you said uh it doesn't matter what your niche is everybody needs to be hiring for something Mm -hmm. and if you can figure out a good and reliable and consistent way to help them solve that problem too man you're you're getting deep um in that relationship it's gonna be great that's how you're gonna be so good they can't ignore or get rid of you I think I think any service really, as long as you nail it down, could be good. Like a call center, if you're providing so many leads that they can't keep up with the calls and they have to hire an internal office person, you can say, "Hey, we have a call center division." But you have to be good at that. You can't just offer that <laughs> service. But then you have to want to do that forever. <laughs> like, like that has to be part of your actual business model moving forward. And if that wasn't something that you want to do from the start, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Um, the other the other thing with that was like. Um, we had an example, which was like good, good companies are good at doing their one thing or their one and two things and not doing like everything. So one example you gave was like Yamaha does motorcycles and pianos. <laughs> <laughs> They're totally unrelated. Mm-hmm. So like Evergrow, like we'll do SEO and Google ads and courses. So like mm-hmm. they're unrelated, but kind of. And, uh, I mean, there's like Mitsubishi does cars and forklifts. Well, they did, you said they did everything in Japan. Oh yeah. That's, that's yeah. one of the most surprising things that I don't know. Surprising. It was a big thing that I learned. It was Mitsubishi like runs Japan. Um, because here in the States you hear Mitsubishi and you think, okay, uh, car manufacturer kind of smaller, right? Fewer dealerships, not as big of an impact as like Honda or Toyota. And you go to Japan and you're like, Whoa, they got banks. This is weird. <laughs> Like, they got everything. Also, I think it was, I think it's Mitsubishi Pencil. I think it's say, say Mitsubishi um, for me. Mitsubishi? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, it sounded like you said Mitsubishi. No. And, well, I, I know a handful of people who can't say Mitsubishi. Why do they like, say it? They just can't. I don't know. It's like Asian people saying R or L. Uh, or, 
Yeah, no, it's hard to pronounce. That sounds okay for the listener. That sounds like really racist and discriminatory of me. No, if it's it was, a legitimate phonetic. You were thing. just telling me how you were trying to tell. You were saying to your Japanese friend, "Like, look, you can't go to the U.S. and say hello." And like, right, he, was, right. he was struggling with that. Like, he couldn't mm-hmm. say hello, and it was just blowing my mind how, like, because L isn't in Japanese language, right? And I it was it was blowing my mind that like people can't wrap their head around the letter L. And I'm like, I don't have a problem using the French R, eh, or like, or anything. And I, I never did. And so it just blew my mind how adults don't know how to use. I can't know. do it in Spanish, though. If you said I got to do the L roll thing, R roll. Yeah, I can't do that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I've tried. When you're a kid and you're like in the shower and you're like, all right, I'm going to practice I think there's I'm a difference and get it. Okay, but you're a child. <laughs> I think there's a difference between like like er, like knowing how to say R and L. <laughs> like, I just don't understand it, and I, I don't think I ever will. Yeah, I I don't know. I haven't come up, come up. Uh, I'm sure like someone who speaks Spanish like that's not how you say ours. <laughs> yeah, but I, the, in Japan they have um yeah it's when it's written in uh romaji which is english englishified japanese um it'll be written with a r that's probably the closest that it is to it but i still struggle to actually make the the sound that it is because it's like 75 percent r 25 percent l oh so yeah interesting fun fact for you know l is so <laughs> easy to say like l <laughs> I can, I can do it. Just I can do it by sticking my entire tongue out. <laughs> yeah, I, this is I, good information for people who have no interest in Japan. Probably, maybe I can. Maybe I've inspired some people, though. I don't know. Probably not. It's pretty terrible. I do tell people that in real life, though, when they're like, "Ah, Japan, Japanese, that sounds cool." I'm like, "Yeah, it's going to be awful if you actually want to learn this." So probably just stick to Spanish. Sure. I'll give. I will French. say. Uh, I posted on. Um, this is unrelated, but I posted on uh, on Twitter. I said, hey, if, uh, here's a free engagement hack on X or Twitter. Uh, type, I got my Facebook hacked, and I put it in quotes. Then I said, now watch the comments, likes, and retweets pile up. <laughs> and within 22 seconds, I had like 19 comments and eight retweets and five likes. And uh, I replied to every single one of them with this same canned response. So all of them, it's like, hey, uh, mine was successfully recovered by, you know, at this person or mm. no worry or worry no more. Go message at this person. And there's like, like a all, bot listener. Just oh, yeah, it. it was just, it was just mm. all that. So then I replied to every single one of them with the same canned response and said, wow, no way. Cool. Thanks for the engagement. And then I liked their comment and uh, I posted those screenshots on Facebook and Andrew uh, commented and said, this is why your podcast is my favorite. (laughs) So just wanted to give him a shout out there. Shout out. Shout out, Andrew. But cool. All right. Well, that's uh, that's all we got. So all we got, we went on for an hour. Yep. So probably half an hour longer than it needed to be. Anyway. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See you.